but you can Google this. I got Drake the keys to the city in Toronto. And so my, my fandom for Drake goes deep. Welcome to At The Heart Of It, where we talk about life, celebrate creativity, champion entrepreneurship, and get to the heart of the why behind what we do. I am Bright Muty, and this episode was a lot of fun to record. Um, this was actually the first time that I ever spoke with Brett, and he started a newsletter called The Peak that focuses on Canadian business and tech news. And the first time I opened the email, the first newsletter from The Peak, I, I was hooked. It was a really great experience. It was to the point. It was news that I wanted. And I needed to learn how this became a thing. Uh, and I was so curious why I hadn't seen it before um, or had any experience with any you know, newsletter like it before. So um, I looked up Brett on LinkedIn, I reached out and he was gracious enough to spend some of his time with me on At The Heart Of It. So this interview is great. There's, uh, as you heard at the beginning of this episode, there's some, some great little tidbits and stories that Brett shares with us, including how he got Drake the keys to the city of Toronto, which is amazing. He's a uh, really forward thinking, passionate and, and dedicated individual. And I'm so glad to have him on the show. Here is my interview with Brett Chang from The Peak on At The Heart Of It. Welcome to At The Heart Of It, where we talk about life, celebrate creativity, champion entrepreneurship by getting to the heart of the why behind what we do. I'm Brighton Uti, and today I'm really excited about our guest. If you live in Canada, are interested in staying up to date on business and tech news, but have not heard of The Peak yet, you are in for a real treat with this episode because my guest today is the CEO and co-founder of The Peak, Brett Chang. Thanks so much for joining me, Brett. Thanks so much for having me, Brett, and I'm excited to, excited to be on. Yeah, so before we really get started and jump in and get into the nitty gritty, why don't you share a little bit about The Peak and, and uh, how you got started and, and honestly what The Peak is all about. I love it, but I'm, but I'm excited for you to kind of share um, yeah, what the, what the Peak is all about. Well, first of all, thank you for the kind words. Uh, and The Peak is a Canadian media business. We're focused on making business fun. Our main product is a daily newsletter that we send out to 30,000 uh, of the smartest Canadians. Uh, it's a fun, quick overview of the top four to five stories in Canadian and global business. We've also got a TikTok that's doing pretty well. We tell interesting Canadian business stories, uh, and that's got almost 10,000 followers on it. And we've got our Lifestyle Product Day Off, which is recommendations of the best things to see, do, eat, watch, read uh, for Canadians by Canadians. So that's the peak. There you go. That's awesome. How many subscribers do you guys have now? Yes, we just hit, uh, it's funny, we hit 25,000 about a week and a half ago, but we've recently surpassed that. And so we're just over 30,000 now. Okay, there you go. That's that's amazing. I, I think like I I found out about the peak through LinkedIn, um, cool. I, and I'm and I'm fascinated by not only, and I, and I can't wait to get into to all like the reinventing old news. Like an email newsletter is nothing new, but the way that you've implemented it is really really interesting and and unique. But I'm also fascinated about the the virality that you've started to build around the peak and the adoption. Um, and I believe it was Connor and Dustin from Local Laundry, uh, who are actually previous guests on, on the show, um, shared the peak link on LinkedIn. And I'm really interested to, to learn more about your strategy and how you, you've started to build almost like a referral campaign in that way. Um, to, to drive adoption for the newsletter? Like what, what was some of the strategy and thought process behind, behind that? The way I see it is that growth is a puzzle and you're always trying to find that next piece to kind of complete the, yeah. the whole thing. And you never really know what that piece will be. And so it's a bunch of experimentation to see what works and what doesn't. And slowly but surely, you kind of all put it together. But you know, in many cases, some of the earlier stuff you, that you do doesn't scale and doesn't help you get up to that next point. And so I, when we started The Peak, we originally thought that it was going to be you know, really tough to get to 10,000 subscribers. And once we got to 10,000 subscribers, it would be kind of a, a pretty easy ride from there. And that definitely has not mm. been the case. But the earliest things that we did to grow were 
uh, for the first thousand subscribers, we really just shared it with friends and family. So anyone who thought we thought might be interested within our network, we would just send an email to them saying, hey, this is a project that I'm working on. Would love for you to subscribe. Through that, I think we got close to a thousand subscribers. At that point, we really wanted to validate if we could scale this thing with paid advertising. And so we tried mm-hmm. running contest ads where we were giving away free AirPods if you entered your email and signed up to the newsletter. That was good and helped us kind of grow really quickly, but the quality of those subscribers were pretty low in that they would subscribe, right. they might read one or two, and they might just unsubscribe shortly after that because they were interested in the giveaway, not so much in the newsletter itself. Um, and then the third tactic we used to kind of go from, let's say, uh, 1,000 to 5,000 was how you saw the peak on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And that was a lot of brute force, to be honest with you. And I think Connor and Dustin in particular, I got to know them because they just reached out to me at one point saying they read the newsletter. And I responded to them and I said, hey, I would love if you share it on LinkedIn. Here are some examples of what other people have said. And that mm-hmm. personal testimony and endorsement of the newsletter on LinkedIn, a channel where one, you can get huge reach because there's not a ton of content. And two, you can stay on yeah. for a long time on people's feeds. Those two factors really helped us uh, get some virality. And and again, that was mostly brute force. That was me messaging everyone I knew and asking them to share on LinkedIn. (laughs) And it was a great way for us to get to kind of 5,000 and onwards. But that it's it's interesting because I feel like that chapter of our growth is kind of closed. I can't do that anymore. I've exhausted my network. Uh, Maybe I can come back to it later, but that has been kind of uh, uh, put aside. There you go. I'm curious how you asked people to, to, to do that. I know that you kind of framed it a little bit, but, um, h- how did you frame that ask? Um, I know that a lot of, I mean, I'm working with a client right now. We were just w- actually walking through, um, a referral template or, or a actually review template email that their sales team could send out, um, after somebody had actually purchased their product, kind of go to Google and do a review. But how, how did you position that ask for, for people to share the the newsletter and the sign up on on LinkedIn. You know, I would say for between 100 to 150 of the people who I originally reached out to to have share on LinkedIn, those were just uh, close friends or personal connections of mine. So that was right. just me asking them to do me a, a huge favor by sharing on LinkedIn. And I tried to make it as easy as possible as I could for them. I took the referral link, I sent it to them, I sent examples of what other people said so they could copy those, post quickly, and be done with it. And so that's one thing I did. Now, for the more extended ones, I think Connor and Dustin would be in that category. I had kind of two ways of doing that, or actually maybe three ways of doing that. One would be an exchange. And so if there was something that we could give them, let's say an ad Mm -hmm. in the newsletter, we would offer that. Uh, I think Connor and Dustin are pretty well known in Calgary and they've got a pretty big network there. And so I, I had a feeling that would be really helpful. And so I think we offered them an ad placement in the newsletter. Uh, we also find, too, that I think we are oversaturated in Toronto. And so I, I try to get out to places mm-hmm. like get people in Calgary sharing, get people in Edmonton, get people in you know, Victoria sharing, because I just find that uh, we have more success in, in those communities. Uh, the second thing I would do is that anybody who added me on LinkedIn, so I share a lot on LinkedIn just in terms of uh, our business and how it works and how we're growing. And I, I we, we do this thing called build in public, which is we try not to hide much from our readers and, and from other people who might be interested in what we're up to. And so I share that on LinkedIn. Right. Through that, a lot of people end up connecting with me just because they're interested in what we're doing. Uh, and that's great. And so what I'll do is if they connect with me, I'll send them a video message on LinkedIn asking them to, mm-hmm. to share. And that's, again, just like doing me a, a big favor uh, and that you yeah. know we're a small company and we're trying to grow and it'd be really helpful. So that's been good. Those are kind of the, the main ways that I've done it. I, I think you get diminishing returns the less connected you are to that person. So if I wanted to cold outreach a bunch of people and ask them to share on LinkedIn, it'd be challenging. Even if they're readers of the newsletter, it's challenging. Um, those are kind of the main tactics we've used. We've also, you know, as you mentioned, established a referral program. So there are incentives. Mm-hmm. If you do share and get so many subscribers, if you get you know, five, you get stickers. If you get, you know, 15, you get a mug, so on and so forth. That's been really helpful yeah. as well. There you go. All the way up to a MacBook, which I think is amazing. Yeah, no <laughs> one's hit that. Incentive. <laughs> no one's hit that yet, but I, I, I can't go. wait for the day that they do. No, no kidding. That's, that's amazing. Um, something else I found really interesting and I kind of alluded to the, to the question before is that a newsletter is nothing new and I'm fascinated by this with with you. And and it's so fascinating to learn about how you approached building the peak as a 
email newsletter. Like I see it as it's old news. It's an old um, type of delivery. And yet you've made it fresh and something that people want to open every day. It's fascinating seeing people on LinkedIn start sharing screenshots of the actual newsletter on LinkedIn and going, this is my favorite part of my morning is being able to have a cup of coffee before I start my day and get a, a, a little, you know, Coles notes, if you will, of the news. And it's it's fun, it's quick, it's snappy, engaging. Like, where did that concept and idea come from to to use email in the way that you are, but making it, you know, fresh and, and something that people actually look look forward to opening. I think the biggest trend here is that Canada is usually about a year to two years behind the US on a number of different mm -hmm. things. And I think media is yep. a great example of it, but there's a number of different industries where you're starting to see, you know, I've got a friend of mine, he runs his company called Properly. Uh, they're pretty similar to a company called uh, Open Door in the US. And yep. I think there's a lot of different uh, uh, a lot of different type of industries that are just where Canada lags. And so I think that's kind of what we identified, to be honest with you. You know, we looked around at all of our friends and our network, and we noticed that they were primarily getting their news, especially their business news from these U.S. sources. And not just any U.S. sources, they were getting them from newsletters like Morning Brew and The Hustle and The Skim. And we just couldn't find a Canadian equivalent for that. And if we compared what those newsletters were doing to what Canadian outlets were doing, those newsletters were taking the same content. They were just making them fun and fresh and putting them in a format that was bite-sized and quick to read, where compared to something like the Report on Business or the Financial Post, they're longer form, more complicated, not particularly engaging in terms of how they write. And so we thought there was an opportunity in Canada to take what we've seen work really well in the U.S., but put a Canadian flair on it. And this is actually what we hear a lot, which is people tell me that they were reading the morning brew before that was kind of their daily routine now they've unsubscribed from the morning brew and they're reading us because they just wanted more canadian content they want to know what's going on here at home and so that's kind of right. the void that we filled and i'll be honest with you it's not a particularly like you said it's not a particularly inventive concept it's not like we really yeah. innovated on something i think what we just saw was that there was room in the market for a canadian version of what we saw working so well in the u.s and um, I'm not going to say we ripped it off, but uh, we were heavily inspired by our contemporaries down there, and uh, yeah. you know, and we just started running with Can Canada stuff. It, it's funny. My my dad always says that, uh, and he's an entrepreneur in his own right, done very well. But he's always looked at the states and said, "Oh, we in Canada we have a crystal ball, like we can actually see what's going to happen totally. one to five to ten years down the road based on what's happening down there because we just are that much slower to to adopt." And, and to adapt to to diff different industries like it's all over the place so i love i love that that's uh you know the a, a bit of the inspiration for that um one other thing when i when i look at the news and i think the news is so fascinating especially over the last year and a half with with covid and everything is there's a lot of opinion within the news and I actually heard a podcast of a gentleman named Kim Moody. This this is kind of his his quote is um, the news is all pretty much opinions now to a large extent. And he's like, I don't I don't need opinions. I need the facts in order to create my own opinions. And what I have really noticed, and I'm curious if this is intentional with you guys, is the copy or the copy and the stuff that you guys write. It, there's no opinion there. It is very factual. It is very straightforward to the point. Yet you do it in a fun, light way. Um, it, it, that's what I really love. I think most about about the peak is just being able to open up. Go here are the facts. Here's the two paragraphs about this story. If you want more, you can look at this source. But was that intentional when you started writing the newsletter? to make sure that it was more fact-based and there was not a ton of opinion built in? Um, was was that kind of part of the, the process? Or? Yeah, that for sure was deliberate by design. Going into it, we wanted to make sure that we had as big of an audience as possible. And when you start mm -hmm. infusing opinion into stories, you limit the growth. Uh, and we wanted to avoid that at all costs. And so every time we write a story, we, we do multiple checks over it to make sure, like you said, it's just the facts. Now, I think we do have these kind of zoom out or bottom line sections at the end of each story where we try to identify a bigger theme attached to it. I think at mm -hmm. times those can be, 
I wouldn't say it's an infusion of opinion, but it is just something that we're noticing. Uh, it's an observation. Uh, but even with those, we do, on many occasions, find that there is too much opinion infused into them and water them down to make it more broader and less mm. specific. And I think that's really important. I agree with you. You know, I, I don't think it's as bad in Canada as it is in the U.S., but the polarization of the media, I, I do think, is a, a real problem. I think there's a lot of people who are just tired of that. And so there's, a, there's definitely an audience yeah. for just fact-based media. Yeah, I would 100% agree with you. I think there's, it's it's starting to happen more and more in Canada as well. Like I, I you start to see, especially with COVID. I mean, I, I, this is a personal belief, but you look at the, the, the media has not had this much attention in a very very long time, and some of the, the scare tactics that are built in at times are are what scares me is. Um, they're holding on to as much attention as they can because that's their business, right? And that's what I feel is really interesting with with you guys is going, okay, here are the daily vaccination rates. And and here's one dose and here's two doses. And it is fascinating just to open it up and be able to to get that snapshot and not have to you know, open the Apple News app as an example or listen to a news conference that is going to be tilted one way or the other. You're just getting, getting the straight facts. Um, We've been really lucky in that from the beginning of the peak, we just wrote for ourselves. So, you know, mm-hmm. when people ask us all the time, how do you pick the stories that go in? Uh, and really, we just kind of go through the news of the day and whatever we find interesting, we put in. And lucky for us, there's a bunch of other people who also find that interesting as well. And so we've been very mm-hmm. fortunate in that where, you know, when we put something like the vaccine tracker in, we put that in just because we wanted to know ourselves. How was Canada doing? How many vaccines right. how many vaccines have we distributed? Uh, how do we compare with the rest of the world? And so we put that in ourselves. I think it's a combination of both having a close relationship with our readers, but also being the readers ourselves makes it a lot easier. And I think that many media companies can lose that connection with their reader and they start writing for themselves for sure. and not necessarily for what their readers want. You know, there's no reason why the star or the globe or the national post couldn't do what we do really like it's not mm-hmm. particularly uh, uh inventive they just haven't and i think that part of that is because they've kind of lost touch with their reader or with readers of a younger generation right and, and i think this is a perfect spot to to switch gears a little bit and going as as an entrepreneur you're scratching your own itch like that is nine times out of ten any advice that any entrepreneur gives any starting entrepreneur is scratch your own itch right is is try and solve a problem that you would like to see solved and do it for yourself first right um so i'd I'd love to to learn more about your story as an entrepreneur and how you got started and um like is, is that something that that you've kind of found as an identity at a young age, or was that something that you went, oh, I saw this opportunity and, and thought I should jump on it? What uh, what was your personal journey like through through entrepreneurship? It's probably more the latter. I remember I, I was graduating from university, I went to U of T, and all of my friends had grad schools lined up or different opportunities yeah. that they were gonna jump into right after school, and I, I just wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I was graduating with a degree in poli-sci and history, and I didn't have a, a, pr- a clear path in front of me. So I went back to what I knew, which was politics. Uh, that's kind of what I grew up in and, and was working in the most. Now, I do think there are parallels between politics and entrepreneurship, um, and I think that was very helpful for me later on in life. But yeah, I went back into politics. I didn't like it, and so uh, I left, uh, and I just really wanted to get into tech. And I, I mm. couldn't really tell you why, except for the fact that I would go on Crunchbase and I would see all these massive fundraising rounds. And I thought, well, this is probably a space that I should be in. And at the time, the Toronto and the Canadian tech scene were pretty small. Uh, there weren't a lot of opportunities. You know, I think Shopify was probably just getting going at the time that I was entering into the tech works right. workforce. Uh, and so I took a job at a place called Extreme Labs. They had a you know mobile dev agency, and this was in kind of the glory days of uh, iOS and the App Store. And so I took a job there as like a low-level salesperson. I was just cold calling U.S. companies to try and get them to buy uh, services from us. You know, eventually I got laid off from there, and that's kind of when I first jumped into entrepreneurship, more out of necessity than anything else. I, I wasn't really sure what to do, and, and these opportunities just kind of kept uh, falling on my lap. And so I started a digital agency with a few friends and I. Uh, we had a bit of a falling out with one of our partners. Not a big deal. We're fine today, but at the time it was uh, yeah. it felt like a big deal. <laughs> and so you know, we kind of sold the agency to one of our partners. Uh, I moved on, and I started something called Line Six which was a uh, pop-up bus that we ran 
from a community, a neighborhood in Toronto called Liberty Village to the downtown core. Um, the challenge with the bus was that it was, by the letter of the law, illegal. And so we got shut down pretty quickly. Um, but from right. there, <laughs> I, I, was, I was very fortunate enough to get to know a guy named Ian Black, who was running Uber in Canada. Uh, he gave me a job. I was pretty early on the team there. I think I was just getting in as they were launching UberX. And I was stayed at Uber for about three years. I left in 2018, got into cannabis. Uh, I was already kind of doing some community work on that end. We were hosting meetups in Toronto and Calgary and Montreal uh, and transitioned into that full time doing some venture work. And then we ultimately ended up uh, uh, doing the peak after the fund. But really, yeah, entrepreneurship was never something that I, I thought I would do or imagine myself doing. Uh, it mm. was more an evolution where, you know, once I got into it and I saw how much fun it could be, how much I enjoyed it, uh, uh, then it was, uh, I kind of caught the bug. Right. There you go. And I'm, I'm curious, was there any influence kind of from, from your parents or your family, um, throughout, you know, growing up, like were were your parents entrepreneurs or anything like that? Or was it just kind of, you kind of stumbled, stumbled into it as, as you mentioned. Yeah, my parents were not entrepreneurs at all. Um, but what they did do, which I am very grateful for, is they always encouraged me to kind of pursue whatever I was interested in. So if I wanted to you know, start competing in chess, uh, even though I was very bad at it, they would drive me around to all the tournaments <laughs> and let me take a go at it. Yeah. If I wanted to play basketball, which I am also, I'm 5'7", so I'm not particularly well built for that, but they would also <laughs> let me uh, take a go at basketball. And, you know, the, going back to kind of my point on politics, uh, you know, I wanted to kind of get more involved in politics growing up. I was interested in it. I thought it'd be a, a fun thing to do and kind of help me professionally. And so I was 16 and I just started knocking on doors for different politicians uh, in my neighborhood. And, you know, that I think really kind of gave me the confidence I needed to know that I could go out and start something where, you know, the process mm -hmm. of starting a campaign, which I was doing, you know, in my 20s is not dissimilar from starting a business. And if you can see all of that come together in such a short period of time, there's so many parallels to that in entrepreneurship that it gives you confidence that you can take that next step and you can go start a business. So I think that was very formative for me. And like I said, I'm very grateful to have parents that were just so encouraging of me pursuing whatever I was interested in, whatever passion I had at that time, uh, that, that I also was overall curious about what the opportunities were with entrepreneurship. Right. I, I have a similar story of the, um, you know, door knocking. Like, I think rejection is so key in growing up, right? In, in being able to go knock on doors and know, like, you know that the majority of the people are either not going to, they don't want you there, yeah. right? They didn't, they didn't invite you, um, but you have a message to share and you, you got to deal with the, the people that don't want you there or, you know, some, some of the, the, you know, crazy experiences. And, you know, it was, for me, it was going into dental offices and dropping up brochures about health spending accounts that their patients could, could use, um, and to save money if, if they owned a business, right? Like it, it's, um, but going through that, that stage of, but yeah, knocking on doors, finding out what, what rejection feels like and, and go, oh, it's actually really not that bad. No, isn't that bad um, to push to push that forward. So have you experienced that much with 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 the peak um, in, in trying to continue to to grow that and build the network? And um, I don't know if you if you guys have, have kind of gone through through funding or anything like that. Like, is, is that uh, like how, how has that experience through you know the the political um time in your life and door knocking and and that rejection kind of helped you throughout uh your growing the peak yeah i think the rejection is one part of it the other part is that much of my political career was spent doing what could be only described as grunt work uh whether mm -hmm. that be labeling envelopes to send out mailers, uh, whether that be doing data entry from all the people that went out that day and going on the computer and, you know, putting in whatever address identified as their support, going out and knocking on doors yeah. for six hours a day when you don't want to, or being in apartment buildings where it's awkward because you're, you know, close by to other people and they hear you and, and you have to argue with the receptionist. The, the whole thing, I think, is uh, <laughs> uh, until you get to a certain point, which I think takes a long time, a lot of it is just, you know, really getting your hands dirty. And that has probably been the most helpful experience to me in entrepreneurship because, you know, starting any business, 
uh, requires that same level of dedication, but that willingness to again get your hands dirty. Uh, and the peak was no different, right? Like I, you know, when we first right. started the peak, uh, it was us writing it every day, and so we'd switch between the three of us, and it would take us about you know five six hours to write. It's shorter now, but at the time we were kind of getting our, our figuring everything out, and so it was about five six hours every day. We were switching between the three of us. We were doing it every third day. You know, we were trying to grow the thing, which is literally us just emailing a bunch of people we knew and, you know, not caring what they thought. Uh, it was ultimately us trying to sell ads. And so that was reaching out to people yeah. with a product and making our pitch, which is not dissimilar from what you do on the doorstep in politics. And then, yeah, we did raise some money as well. Now, I, I would, I'm would i very fortunate that I think this fundraising process went different from different fundraising processes that we've did in that I, I was lucky to, to have a bit of a network and people who were kind of invested mm -hmm. in, in me and my success. But uh, a lot, and even today, you know, we are 30,000 subscribers. We've got a writer, you know, I think we're selling, you know, quite a few ads these days, which is great. But a lot of it is still just me, you know, Googling different companies and finding marketing people there and sending them cold emails and jumping on calls and pitching them on buying ads. And it's not particularly glamorous. And that's okay. That's kind of what I'm used to. Mm -hmm. That's what was happening at Uber. That's kind of been my whole career is, you know, I've been willing to do that. And I think that's probably what differentiates entrepreneurs from everyone else uh, in that you're willing to, you know, do the tough stuff, knowing that the reward at the end will be worth it. And a lot of that was inspired by my time in politics. Right. That's that's amazing. Um part of part of selfishly for me being able to to host this podcast is is learn from it's, it's almost like therapy session for me <laughs> or uh you know like like uh you know one-on-one -on -one advice sessions um and and one thing i love to to ask about is is the why i mean it's in our kind of one liner at the top of of the show and it's you know almost the name of the show is at the heart of it is you know the the why behind behind what people do um, and I'm curious what, uh, what that driving force is for you. Um, you know, why, why journalism to an extent, um, but, you know, a poli sci major that, uh, you know, worked in tech is kind of now in, in journalism. Like what, uh, what's kind of that, that, uh, overarching purpose that, that you find with, within the work that you're doing in the project that, that you're working on with the peak. Well, you know, I've had more fun working on the peak than anything else I've done in my career. And it's just an incredible feeling to know that, you know, thousands of people, including yourself, uh, have made us a part of their morning routine and read the newsletter. Mm -hmm. And that's very fun. You know, I think generally myself and my co-founders were all pretty interested in the world and how it works and, you know, businesses and how they fit into uh, everything else. And so it was a pretty natural fit for us to, to do this. And it's just been fun to, you know, write about that, to learn more about it. Uh, and it's stuff that we'd be doing anyways. And so the fact that we can now make a business out of it and run it, uh, and make some money for ourselves is just perfect. And we couldn't have asked for anything better. I would say longer term with business. I think this is a question that generally goes unanswered. And so I, I I'll probably just answer it. Honestly, you know, I'm still pretty passionate about politics. Uh, and, mm -hmm. uh, for me, uh, and I think for my partners, who I don't want to speak on their behalf, but at least for me, you know, I think the goal is that we build these businesses and we build value in the asset uh, because ultimately we want to have a exit at some point and then be able yep. to devote ourselves more to what we care the most about, which in this case for me would be politics, whether that is in advocacy or working with nonprofits or you know something along those lines where we can kind of take our skills that we've developed here and try to kind of cause some type of social change and inspire, you know, and, and support different movements. I think that's ultimately the goal for us. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, in the meantime, we're just having a blast doing the peak and we're very lucky. It's not a business where, you know, we just started it without any type of interest in it or passion. It's just yeah. kind of us trying to make a make a buck or two. This really is something that we're having a lot of fun doing and really enjoying. So I'm, I'm uh, I couldn't be happier with it. That's awesome. I mean, looking looking forward to to, you know, 10 years down the road and, and if you know, politics being a big passion of yours, um, we sort of touched on it before is with with the media being very polarized obviously there's been a little bit more polarization within within politics too i'm just i'm just curious to 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 get your take on on the the current political climate if if you're open to to, to oh. chatting about that and uh and and give your take on on how you see um 
I mean, we're we're in, we're in Canada. We're talking about the, the Canadian newsletter. Like, what what is what is your your view of of kind of the the climate within within Canadian politics right now? Ooh, this is a, a good question and one I don't get asked normally. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I I think I this is a you know you mentioned it earlier on, and we do take this very seriously. In that, myself and my two co-founders, we have very strong political views, as you can imagine, but we really do make right. an effort to not let those bleed into the newsletter. We want the newsletter to mm-hmm. be an unbiased source of information that people can trust, and we think that's the right approach, and, and we're really happy with that. You know, there are other, if you want a more opinionated news outlet, you can find that. There's plenty of them, as you mentioned, and, and that's great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but for <laughs> us, I think that's kind of our lane, and we want to stay in it. Now, I'm not going to shy away from the question, though. Uh, I, I, you know, I think uh, <laughs> that, I, that sounds like a bit of a dodge, but I'll, I'll answer it, which is, you know, I think we're very fortunate to live in Canada. I think it's a, a great country. I think there's always a lot that we can do to make it better. In particular, I, I almost feel uh, I live in downtown Toronto. And I almost feel like there are two Canadas. I think there are the people mm-hmm. that are doing well and the people that aren't doing well. And that's a, a pretty big divide. Uh, and so, you know, I live literally in the downtown core here. I think there's a lot of people uh, around me that really don't have an understanding of what's going on outside of, you know, our immediate radius. And if you look at different communities, uh, disenfranchised communities in this country, whether they be in, you know, uh, the suburbs of Toronto or whether they be on a reserve in Manitoba or, you know, whether they be in a community that's been kind of economically hard hit like Fort McMurray, there is a strain of uh, there is something that connects all of those communities, uh, which is that they feel like they are being left behind. And I think it's important that somebody finally addresses that. And I just don't feel like the leadership mm-hmm. that is currently kind of running the country has any appreciation for that and is putting in place the uh, big vision that's needed to bring those communities into the fold so that there is a uh, equal distribution of the prosperity that we're seeing today. Mm-hmm. Very well put. <laughs> Very, very politically uh, correct uh, answer in that way, but I, but I agree. I, I think that's that's you know the best way to put it without going. You know, I'm blue, I'm red, I'm orange, I'm green, whatever is is going. Being able to to raise all boats, right, and and be able to provide the the best overall experience for as many Canadians as possible. I think you know should be the goal. Um, and, and I would completely agree with, with that, uh, with, with that judgment on, on that. Um, you know, I love to wrap up each, each episode with, with rapid fire. So we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a second, but, uh, I'm, I'm curious what is next for, for the peak and, and, and for you, you know, you've got 30,000 subscribers now, um, starting to get some more ad revenue coming through. Um, you know, what's, what does the next year or two look like for, for you and your team? It's a great question, and I think we're kind of figuring that out uh, right now. Uh, I think we're at a bit of an inflection point where it's like, how do we take this to the next level? Uh, I think what I'm really focused on is, and I think what we're always kind of focused on is, you know, one, growth, and two, revenue. I think those are the two things that any business should be focused on. And I think it's actually something that this is a problem with Canadian media, which is that they are not focused uh, as much, especially on the growth side as they should be. And so that for us is always priority number one. So how can we grow the peak? How can we get in front of more people? How can we get more people reading it? Um, that's tougher than it sounds. Like I said, I, I think we originally thought that it'd be you know 5,000 and 10,000 is easy and then you know, 20,000 is easy and so on and so forth. That's not the case. You know, I think we always struggle with what tactics uh, we can deploy to get it in front of more people, to drive more traffic to the site, and ultimately get more conversions. So that's mm-hmm. something that we're always thinking about and always coming up with new and different tactics to help with that. On the revenue side, I don't think we've been as focused on sales as we probably should have been, and we've given up some revenue because of that. It made sense at the time. We were so focused on growth that uh, we uh, really uh, wanted to get that growth machine going before we focused on sales. But I think we're at a point now where we've kind of done that. And so now I want to kind of focus our team on sales, bring in some more people to help out on that front, and really grow our revenue significantly over the next year. And then beyond Mm -hmm. that, I think we're looking at, you know, what other products uh, can we launch 
that uh, would address different gaps in Canadian media, or at least also provide content that our readers, our existing readers of The Peak, might like in addition to that. And so we've started doing that with Day Off, which I think is a neat, fun, you know, light publication that is really just a bunch of links of cool stuff that you can check out. I think we kind of want to continue to grow that and see if there are any other opportunities. There's probably an election coming up this year, so perhaps we'll do a, a short kind of election pop-up newsletter where we'll kind of provide right. uh, updates on what's going on with the election the same kind of tone and format as as our, our daily newsletter um, which i think would be great by the way like well, yeah especially with i don't know if you've seen uh what is what is that uh, netflix documentary about the social media social the, yeah 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 uh social dilemma yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and the, the the bias that start to be built into the algorithms based on what you interact with right so to be able to get both sides of the conversation in an unbiased format, I think would be fascinating and like really, really helpful. So I, I interrupted you, but I'm just like, that's a great idea and I'm totally in on it. <laughs> well, no, that's great to hear. And, and this is it, you know, when we develop these new products, we really do want to come up with content that our existing readers would appreciate. And so what happened with mm -hmm. Day Off was that we would put a bunch of links into the bottom of the daily newsletter and peak picks that were very kind of lifestyle-y, and we would see those links yeah. do exceptionally well. So we thought, can we just create another newsletter where we would take those links, put a bunch more in, uh, and would that be something that our readers might like? Same thing with the election news. I think you're exactly right that people like reading the peak because it's unbiased and they can see both sides. I think we'd want to do exactly that for the election. I think there'd be a lot of appetite there and then you know more broadly speaking for us the peak is a brand we have products underneath that brand and so how can we grow and build that that brand of making canadian business news fun or making canadian news fun generally speaking um yeah. i think there's a bunch of things we can do with that so you know one the tiktok remains a priority for us it's been fun to kind of build that up and you know i did a story on TikTok yesterday that, you know, got 130,000 views. It's incredible. You can go yeah. super viral on TikTok very quickly. And so we want to continue to do that, tell stories on our other social channels, which I think are equally compelling. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, there's, we just see a bunch of opportunity in Canadian media that we're really excited to kind of go out there and, and capture as much of it as we can and build the peak brand, you know, run events, build a community, all kinds of stuff to do. But we're, uh, uh, the toughest thing is staying focused. And so we're focused on the daily yeah. newsletter and growing it. That's our number one priority for all the investors listening. <laughs> exactly. There you go. I'm, I'm excited about what's next. Um, I, like I said, I, I open it every morning. I, I love it. Um, one more question before rapid fire, because I'm curious how your experience has been on TikTok. Um, you know, at heart, we focus primarily on content creation and, and creating podcasts and YouTube shows for clients and, and uh, stuff like that. And so I'm curious how the experience with TikTok has been. Obviously, you've, you've had some success stories um, with your stories uh, that, that you've done on TikTok. But what, what has that experience been like for you? And how did you start to structure those, those uh, you know, posts? Like, what, what was that process like? You know, I'm sure you see this in your business. Taking the first step is truly the hardest thing. So, you know, yep. we saw, we, I, I, like, I've seen people on TikTok go from, you know, zero to viral very quickly, and I couldn't figure out how to do that. You know, we would try a couple things, and it wouldn't really work, and so I ended up kind of doing my research, seeing what other people were doing that were going viral in a similar type of space to us, and seeing if I could copy that format. And so I found a couple people mm -hmm. who were doing a format that I liked. I kind of saw what worked and what didn't. And so I replicated it with whatever resources I had. And so that was like me trying to figure out how to do editing, how to film uh, as scrappily as possible without having uh, yeah. a bunch of overhead. So once I figured that out, you know, really it's experimentation. And again, you'll, you'll be well familiar with this, but it's trying out a bunch of different stuff until you see what the algorithm likes. And, you know, once yeah. you get a taste of what the algorithm likes on TikTok, I think the best approach is just double down on that, grow your audience mm -hmm. as much as possible. And then, you know, once you're at a certain scale, I, I probably will go back to experimenting again with different formats and styles. But, you know, really, I tried a bunch of stuff. I was doing vaccine updates uh, that were doing really well. So I'd say, you know, hey, you know, Canada has received or is receiving 10 million Pfizer doses. This is what it means. Or, you know, Alberta has lowered the age to eight. Anyone over 18 can book a vaccine come Monday. Those would do really, really well. But my biggest kind of takeaway was that those views would not convert to follows. 
that was, uh, I think, okay. a truly rented audience that was just there to receive the information and then jump off uh, or swipe up to their next video. What I ended up doing was I found I would I think I made uh, I made a video about I think it was Nav Batia, the super fan, the Raptor super fan, and I told his story mm. in a format that I saw other people do, and that one took off. It got over a hundred thousand views, it got you know, ten thousand likes or whatever. And once I saw that, then I started replicating that for a bunch of different type of Canadian business people. And those have ended up being kind of our specialty. And so through those, I've done a bunch of them. Some of them take off. Some of them do okay. Some of them do bad. But that's okay because I've seen enough now that I can know that if I keep doing this and you consistently put out content, you know, the ones that take off will really take off and that those will convert to followers. And so we're almost at 10,000 now. And uh, But it's been it's a frustrating experience. But once you get the hang of it, it is a lot easier. It's different than the newsletter. Right. The newsletter, once you got the hang of it, it actually doesn't get a lot easier. But with TikTok, it really does. <laughs> uh, and so right. it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun doing that. And, and do you typically set those up as series, like like you mentioned? Is you kind of have the the business stories, um, kind of vaccine stories, and, and set those up as kind of segments um, with within your content creation strategy? I, I try to fit it all into one minute. Uh, and so right. I, it's a lot of, you have to be very selective about what you include. And I think people kind of get mad at me on TikTok for that. Because if you're familiar with the story, you yeah. might say, hey, you forgot to talk about this or that. Or, you know, this person was on Dragon's Day, right. didn't mention that. Um, I do try to keep it pretty selective. Uh, and I do try to fit it all into one minute. I, as, as you can imagine, I think there's a very short attention span on TikTok. And the parts yeah. thing is, and this is possibly uh, an issue for me right now, but I'm a bit risk averse in that I have this format mm-hmm. that I know works. And I'm scared to deviate from that because I have to put so much right. work into creating it and writing the script and producing it. That right, the ROI on that is 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 almost not guaranteed, but it's it's higher, more more likely that it's going to succeed. So. Yeah, exactly. And so I was I I've been I've been pretty rigid on the format, uh, which has worked in my favor because I've seen some TikTok creators who go, you know, one video will get five million views, their next video might get two thousand. And, you know, I think I've been pretty good, you know, consistently putting out 10,000 plus view videos. And that's because I, I kept to that format. Um, but I think we're almost at the point now where I can begin to experiment again. The other thing about TikTok is that the conversion from TikTok to the newsletter is non-existent. Like there are, you know, mm-hmm. you might get a couple subscribers here and there, but I treat that as just a totally different platform than uh, than the newsletter. And I think it's good for a bunch of reasons. It's good for brand. You know, I think there is there will be future monetization opportunities on the TikTok alone. It's something that mm-hmm. not many people can do. I think when I first started TikTok, my goal was to pass the Toronto Star, uh, which we did that a long time ago, and we've just you know continued to grow way faster than they can. And that's just like a that's just a personal goal that I set. Um, yeah, that's awesome. And something that yeah, and then you know that's something that not a lot of other legacy media outlets in Canada can do because it's kind of tough to know the format and, and, and have somebody who can execute on it. There you go. That's some incredible advice. Like I, it, it, it is, inspires me to go, well, you know, I haven't really posted a ton on it and I, it, now it's definitely more of a, of a focus within, you know, promoting the podcast. Like you have seen podcast sharing formats that have been really great that you're just taking snippets from, from the podcast um, and they've performed really well, but then you're able to build that brand and kind of spread the word about about the long form episodes and all that kind of stuff. You'd be great on TikTok, Brian. Just great. You really should get into it. Th- thanks. Yeah, <laughs> I I, sh- I should I should. Um, that that'll be the next the next focus over the next month or two then, and then I'll you'll you'll have to hold me hold me to that. Yeah. Um, there you go. So rapid fire. This is one of my favorite pieces um, of of being able to do interviews. Uh, I I was a uh, in the country music world for a period of time as an artist and did a ton of radio interviews. And this was my favorite part is when I was asked random questions cool. <laughs> um, that had nothing to do with what I did all the time. So I, I, I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Um, I've got about like eight here for you. So, so they'll be relatively quick. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> awesome. So the first one is one book that you feel everyone should read. There's a book called Let My People Go Surfing by a guy named Yvonne Schwinard, who is the founder of Patagonia. Uh, and okay. It's a, really examina- it's a really good examination of a very non-traditional business, which I think is a great model for anybody who wants to start a truly sustainable and ethical business, which is very challenging because of the system we exist in. But it's a very interesting exploration mm-hmm. of that and how he's done it. And I think there's a lot we can, we can all learn from him. 
That's great. I've never heard of that book. And that, now I'm very intrigued. Um, what is your favorite song, whether right now or just of all time? Um, I would say Nice for What by Drake. Nice. Got, got, to, got to rep the six, yeah. eh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, a fun fact, uh, I actually got, you know, you can Google this, I got Drake the keys to the city in Toronto. And so my, my fandom for Drake goes deep. <laughs> No way. Yeah. That's awesome. I, can you tell that story? Like, well, yeah. how did that happen? Yeah, you know, my, my one of my co-founders today, we were starting a different business back in, this was like, I guess, 2014-ish. And we wanted to do lead gen for that business. So we created a petition to get Drake the keys to the city. At the same time, I knew some people okay. in the mayor's office. And I tried to lobby for it and orchestrate the whole thing. And eventually right. they did it. Uh, and so I take credit for it. Although it's not directly attributed to me, I do take credit for it yeah. because it was, <laughs> I kind of led the original effort. There you go. You you lit the spark. Yeah. There you go. That's awesome. Um, salty snack or sweets? Sweets. Okay. What's what's your go-to sweet? I uh, you know I I like chocolate stuff a lot. Milk chocolate stuff, and so it could be M and M's. It could be uh, yeah anything that's like uh, anything anything milk chocolate based is good for me. Anything milk chocolate. There you go. Um, lazy beach vacation or crazy travel adventure? I'd say crazy travel adventure just because the story you get out of it. Right. Absolutely. Do you have any, like any, anywhere you really want to go that you haven't been to yet? Well, a bunch of places. Um, you know, I really want to go to Africa. Uh, I had a trip planned for South Africa a, f a few years ago that I couldn't go on because of work. And I, I really want to go because I'm just fascinated in, uh, the culture and the history of it. And I'd mm -hmm. love to see it firsthand. There you go. Yeah, my, my wife went to Africa a couple of years ago and was like crazy experience being able to do the safaris and, and, and volunteer and, and all that kind of stuff. It's yeah. a it, it's somewhere I, I definitely need to, to go as well. Cool. Um, what's your favorite local small business in Toronto? Oh, you know, there's a cafe. Uh, this is probably the, the easiest one, but there's a cafe called Cafe 23 down the street from me on, on Queen Street. And it's yeah. just a, they just make great coffee. They got a great patio in the back. It's just a really nice vibe and it's a great place to work out of. And so I'll give them the shout out because I feel like I spent a lot of time there uh, in non-COVID times, yeah. but although patios are open now, so maybe I'll spend an increasing amount of time there in the future. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give them the shout out uh, of my favorite local small business. There you go. So two more um, or three more, actually, these would get, get a little bit deeper, but do you have one quote that you live by? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't think so. Like, I think the corniest one I could give would be the, you know, you miss a hundred percent of the shots. You, <laughs> you don't take Wayne, Michael Scott. Michael Scott. Yeah. And Wayne Grotsky. Yeah. I would say that's the corniest one, but, uh, yeah, I don't, uh, yeah, nothing else really comes to mind immediately. That's so funny because that was that was actually Dustin's from most local laundries. Yeah, that was funny. that was his quote. So that's I think it's just the most the it's the most well known of our generation, and uh, yeah. and so people. I bet you I could come up with a better one, but we'll go with that for. <laughs> <laughs> okay, final answer. There you yeah. go. Um, so the last two, they're a little bit deeper. So the first one is who is someone that you would like to thank for helping you get you to where you are today, and why. Um, well, I, you know, I, I think it, my parents would be offended if I didn't mention them. So, you know, I think <laughs> both my parents, uh, especially my mom has been very encouraging of all of my different, uh, entrepreneurial activities and they've been very supportive of the whole thing. And so I, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. deeply appreciate, appreciate them, appreciative them for their, uh, for their ongoing support. And then I would probably say, uh, I'll just give a second one, which would be my grade 11 math teacher who mm -hmm generously passed me in grade 11 math, which was a prerequisite for university when I probably shouldn't have been passed because he recognized that much of the content I would never use in my career. And without that, I'm not sure what I would have done. <laughs> and so that's been, that was very helpful. That's amazing. Yeah. That's great. It's the, you know, thank you to grade 11 math teachers. Yeah. Um, and the last one is if there was a piece of advice that you could share with your younger self, what would it be? Yeah, these rapid fire questions are good, Brayden, because they really put you on your, they really keep you on your toes. <laughs> on the toes. Uh, yeah. You know, I think the advice that I would share 
would be not to worry as much about the future uh, as I did. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, if I look back on my, people look back on my career, and I think rightly so, see me doing a bunch of different random things, which is true. I I was jumping from, you know, running an illegal bus to, (laughs) you know, trying to get Drake the keys to the city to doing all this different stuff. Um, And all of it, though, uh, led to something else that was better, even if I failed at it, than I was doing before. And so... Uh, now in my life, having seen all of that, I have confidence. I have a lot more confidence when starting things and getting into new businesses and taking on new opportunities because I know I can do the calculation in my head that in some way this will be longer term helpful to me, even if I don't exactly know it yet. And I feel the same way about the peak. I, I don't know where the peak's going to go. I actually have no idea uh, if it'll get bought or if I'll be doing it for the next 20 years or you know who knows. But I just have mm-hmm. a confidence that this is going to work out in some way, even if it goes out of business, which I don't think it will. But even if it does, I just feel like that's true. So I, I would that's the advice I would give. I think that's great. I'm 100% with you. Um, the It's it's almost the, the trust in the future, like like the, 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 the it's all going to work out as, as cheesy and corny as it sounds. It's like, it's all going to be okay. Totally. It will be. Um, so I think, I think that's wonderful advice. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time, Brett. It's been so great to chat with you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and if, if anybody is wanting to now subscribe to the peak, where can, uh, where can they do that? Readthepeak.com, probably the best place to go. But Brett, I have to say, you know, I loved this podcast. You did a great job. And the questions you ask are truly thoughtful and not what I am used to. And I really appreciate that. I, that That is the kindest thing that anybody can say yeah. <laughs> uh, to, to a podcast host. So I, I'm, I'm super, super grateful. Um, and I, I hope that we can, we can do this again. And next time you're in Calgary, next time in Toronto, I'll, sure. I'll, I'll hit you up. But uh, I, know, uh, I know you were here not long ago for the Stampede. still happening. It's going to be weird. Uh, but maybe next year. If you're in town for the Stampede, we'll, uh, we'll show you a good time. Yeah, that sounds great. Awesome. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, Brian. Thank you for listening to this episode of At the Heart of It. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information on our guest and any relevant links that we talked about within the show. If you liked this episode, please give the podcast a five-star review on whichever platform that you're listening to this on, as it helps us share the show with more amazing people just like yourself. Music for this episode is by Leaving Thomas, and you can check us out on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you listen to your favorite music. I'm Brighton Beauty, and thanks for listening to At the Heart of It.